0: The Indianapolis Colts' biggest problem is not a quarterback. It's not replacing Carson Wentz. It's not at receiver. It's not at D line. It's not the defensive secondary. The biggest problem is in the front office. This is Breakfast with Kent for Friday, February twenty fourth, two thousand twenty two. We're brought to you by the great people at Johnson's Plumbing. Give them a call. Trustable. They do great work. They're going to come out. They're going to diagnose your problem. They're going to fix it. You got a leak, they're going to plug it. It's that simple. Give them a call, 765-610-8809 is the number. All right, hit the subscribe button, wherever it is. Hit the like button, wherever it is. Ring the bell. Let's go. Let's talk about sports. And after we talk about the Colts, we're going to talk about the Hoosiers. The biggest five reasons they got the win last night against Maryland. I'll give you a hint. One of them is that Maryland is a train wreck. What are you going to do? The Colts, their biggest problem, you know what? Carson Wentz is a problem. The quarterback position is a problem. What do you do with different guys? Problems, all right, on the roster. But the biggest problem they've got is the differing timeline between owner Jim Ursay and GM Chris Ballard. Chris Ballard understands that for sustained success, you got to slow play building a roster. Jim Ursay understands that to win a, a championship, every once in a while you got to go all in, and sometimes not behind the best hand. Jim Irsay is tired of one one playoff win over the last seven years. Chris Ballard is trying to build a defensive line with eight guys who can rotate in all the time. Those are at odds with each other. And you cannot have discord like that between an owner and a GM and be successful. You just can't. These guys have got to get on the same page. Here are five things that Chris Ballard must do this offseason in order to satisfy Jim Ursay and show that he's making progress toward winning playoff games because it's not enough just to get in. you got to win once you get in, if you're Jim Irsay. He is tired of this. He hired Chris Ballard back in 2017 to build a champion. It's 2022. Clock's ticking. All right, Ballard must. He's got to find a quarterback who's going to be here more than one year. He kinda he did throw his chips into the middle of the table last year behind Carson Wentz. It has not worked out. It did not work out. The last two games notwithstanding, and they were terrible. That game against the Raiders at home that could have clinched a playoff spot. The final game of the season against the Jaguars that would have clinched a playoff spot. Both losses. Wentz did not play well in either. You know what? you got to play well when the, when the lights are the brightest. Carson Wentz did not do that. He does not do that. He's got fundamental problems that cannot easily be solved, and so he's going to be replaced. Jim Ursay's had it with Carson Wentz, and when Jim Ursay's had it, it's ta-ta to tell. There's no getting around that. There's no winning Jim Ursay back over once you've lost him. He's not being petulant. Jim Ursay, he's being a realist. Jim Ursay, people got to realize, Jim is not just an owner. Jim Ursay was kind of a towel boy for the Baltimore Colts back in the day. Johnny United treated him like dog crap. Then he was a GM for the Indianapolis Colts. The only GM that the Colts had, granted, he was working for his dad, so it's a little bit different. His dad ran the show. But from 84... Through 97, and really it changed in 95 when Bob Ursay had the stroke, you had Jim Ursay learning how this organization operates. He knows how to evaluate players. He knows how to look at football through the eyes of the general manager, which separates him from a lot of the owners in the NFL. He understands when a quarterback does not project toward playing winning football, and that's Carson Wentz. In Jim Ursay's eyes, that's the way it goes. Gotta find that quarterback. Can't just keep running different guys in here every single year. You can't. Uh, you gotta pursue offensive weapons with the same zeal that you have for defensive linemen. Look, here's one thing I would not do. And and this is this is number three. We got like six reasons. Um, two and three kind of dovetail into each other. I would not go into Jim Irsay's office and mention the need to have eight defensive linemen. He did it in his season wrap, Chris Ballard did, with the media. Got to have eight defensive linemen. Wow. How about two weapons? You got Michael Pittman and Bupkus beyond Michael Pipkin, uh, 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 Pittman. <laughs> not Butkus, Bupkus. It's Yiddish. Look it up. It means nothing. Anybody who's a fan of the Dick Van Dyke Show knows what bupkis means. Anyway, you can't can't have eight starting level defensive linemen and one starting level wide receiver. (laughs) I mean, you just can't. Look at the teams that succeed. They got offensive weapons. What are you doing? Don't talk about eight defensive linemen anymore, for God's sake. You got to trade Quentin Nelson. You need to deal him or move him to left tackle. If you can move him to left tackle, move him to left tackle. He laughed at the question of whether you should move him to left tackle in that same uh, season roundup kind of look back media availability that he had uh, a month and a half ago. So I don't anticipate him moving him to left tackle, but he kind of did the same thing when we talked to him about Braden Smith. When Braden Smith was drafted... Braden came in and he looked like a tackle. And so the media kept asking him, hey, is this guy a tackle or is this guy a guard? We drafted Braden Smith to be a guard. He's a guard. Ballard kept telling us that. And then all of a sudden, Braden Smith's the right tackle. He's a starting right tackle. He's one of the best right tackles in the NFL. What's the media know, right? Can Quentin Nelson slide out to left tackle if he can't? You must trade him because you cannot pay a left guard 18 to $22 million. You can't. You can't have that left guard account for 10% of your cap space. Or you are completely upside down in a lot of different ways that will keep you from winning a championship, especially with not having a first-round draft pick this year because it means that you're not paying uh, kind of it's sort of like rent control in New York, right? You get a nice apartment, but it's rent control, so you're not paying retail. You do that with draft picks. What Chris Ballard has done by trading draft pick, like that first-round draft pick for DeForest Buckner, you got a really good defensive tackle, but you are paying retail for that defensive tackle. What you've had with Quentin Nelson is you've had excellence At left guard, however, you've been not paying for it because he's in his rookie contract. This year, you got the qualifying offer year. He's going to make $13.7 million. And then next year, you either franchise him or you extend him. And that's going to take you way above where a fungible position like left guard should be. Fungible meaning easily replaced. All right. You can, uh, what are the Rams paying for guards? Rams are the world champions. They paid a total for their top three guards less than $3 million. It tells you something. Um, You got to get, you got to start building the top of the roster instead of just the bottom. Chris Ballard's really good at building the bottom of the roster. Uh, The Colts, like player 30 through 53, on the active roster, as good as any in the NFL. But you got to get guys at the top who can really ball out. And that means quarterback, receiver. you got a really good running back. You've got to have a shutdown corner. The The Rams have gone out and gotten those guys, and that's why they won a world championship. And then you've got to meet with Jim Ursay a lot. You have got to be in front of Jim Ursay and not let him figure things out on his own. You have to put thoughts in his head. You have to get on the same page. Develop the same rhythm. And if you can't, this isn't going to end pretty for Chris Ballard. And I hope that it does because I think he's a really good general manager. I think he's terrific at his job. All right. Indiana. Last night against Maryland. Five reasons that they got that win. I think we all know what number one is. If you watched the game, you saw number one. You're going to be able to anticipate number one. And none of these top five reasons... Have anything to do with Jordan Geronimo kind of batting the ball, hitting it on the floor after a free throw, and the thing drops in a bucket. You get a gift two points, it's nice. But then Maryland got a gift three on the other end, so what are you going to do? Five reasons they won. Race Thompson has been really, really good. Kind of under the radar good, because he's not an All-American guy, right? Trace Jackson Davis, the All-American. Xavier Johnson, the guy that Indiana fans sort of love to hate, and all... Race Thompson does is ball out game after game after game. 38 minutes last night, he played stellar defense on the offensive end. He was really good, hitting nine of 12. He had what do you have? 18 points, for goodness sake. Um, nine rebounds. Really, really nice workmanlike level of play. Arguably, has been Indiana's best player and obviously most consistent player. Last night, Trace Jackson Davis, 10 points in 25 minutes. Not what you're looking for from your All-American in a must-win game against a team that's kind of lost and doesn't defend the block very well. Uh, in number four, Indiana executed its best game plan in weeks. It adjusted quickly when Maryland went zoned. You can't zone Indiana anymore, and that's great. What Indiana does, if you throw a 2-3 at them, Pop, 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 pop. They get it in the middle, kick it out, knock down a three. That's what happened last night. I thought Michael Durr, for playing seven minutes last night, was really, really good. No negative plays. He was good on the defensive end, had a couple of assists. That's what you need out of Michael Durr. I, and I against the 2-3, he caught in the middle, kicked it out to Anthony Leal. Leal knocks down a three. I like Leal as a passer, too. Uh, number three, they weathered storms. Indiana built a couple of ten-point leads and then lost them. And when <clears throat> when Maryland got that lead, Indiana's lead, which they held throughout the entire game, Indiana never trailed. When it got to fifty-three-fifty, Indiana, IU went on an eleven-to-two run, and who led it? Xavier Johnson. Xavier Johnson, five points, two assists during that 11-2 to run. Really, really good stuff during that period by Xavier Johnson to put the game out of reach. 53-50 with just under 10 minutes left. Five minutes left, it was a 10-11 point game, 12 point game, and the game was over. Good for Xavier Johnson playing his best basketball at a time when Indiana really needed it. Number two, Maryland's a mess. Maryland's just terrible. I, I This can't be overstated as a reason that Indiana got the W last night. 10-point win, 74-64. Maryland's just bad. They are not a well-coached team. They don't function well together. They're hot-headed. They're ill-disciplined. They they get lost defensively. Maryland was really not good. Fats Russell and his ability to hit threes notwithstanding, he was 5-of-9 shooting triples. Really good stuff from Fats Russell. Kept... Maryland kind of within contact of Indiana, but Maryland not a very good basketball team last night or at all this year. Mark Turgeon knew what he was doing. Number one, Xavier Johnson was almost perfect. He was 7 of 7 from the field for 24 points. This is a guy who sometimes scores like 7 points on 16 shots. Last night, 24 points on 7 shots. He was efficient beyond our wildest dreams Fantastic stuff. Now what he's got to do is shut down the three-point shot. He was three of three from beyond the arc last night. No more threes. Go to Minnesota. Be a distributor. Don't don't think your team needs to rely on you for points. Please, dear God, they got Minnesota Sunday, 6 o'clock, another must-win game. Minnesota 4-13 and 13 in the Big Ten, but they're pretty good at home. They lost to Wisconsin by one. On Wednesday night, up in the Twin Cities, uh, their defense is atrocious. They got Peyton Willis and, and Battle. Those guys, good players. This is not a good team. They don't finish games well. Indiana should get the W. Pacers host OKC tonight. OKC, 18-41. and 41. Pacers, 20-40. and 40. You can see the importance of a loss here, can't you? We don't root for them to lose until the game's over. And then when they lose, we smile because we're closer to the number one overall pick. Come on. We don't get to do this every year for uh, the Pacers. In fact, any year. This is the first time they're going to draft in single digits since 1989 when they took George McLeod, number nine. Uh, Purdue at Michigan State, noon tomorrow. Butler at Marquette, one o'clock tomorrow. Can't wait for both of those games. Let's celebrate some birthdays, shall we, on this Friday. Friday, the last Friday of February. We're so close to March. So close to spring. Let's go. Uh, Brent Downey III, Terry Howard, Steve Siderman, happy birthday. Brandon Powell, Lenny Asseret, happy birthday. Nicholas Wilcox, the great Janine Michelle, celebrating a birthday. Uh, Richard Swintall, happy birthday. Cindy Harris, Les Norman, Tom Watson, and the great Jimmy Traina, Happy birthday. If today's your birthday, celebrate like hell. If it's not your birthday, celebrate somebody else. That's best done with an honest and specific compliment. Lift each other. Don't pull each other down. Lift each other up. Subscribe. Like. Ring the bell. Let's go. This afternoon, about 5 o'clock, Inside Indiana Sports. Now, I cannot wait to talk to you then. Have a great day.